I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic Podcast Network is supported by the Quip Electric Toothbrush, the Tesla of toothbrushes. Most people's oral care habits could be better. We often brush for less than two minutes and use old, worn-out bristles. Quip makes having a fresh, healthy mouth easy and convenient. Their electric toothbrush pulses every 30 seconds so you can clean your mouth evenly and they deliver brush head refills every three months, like dentists recommend. Get your first refill free at getquip.com slash listen. That's getquip.com slash listen. James, it's a very exciting day on the Leaf Report podcast. Our first ever guest from the Leafs. You've been like clamoring for this. We've got him. What's your excitement level? Well, unfortunately, I lost my voice for about four or five days this this past week, so I wasn't able to be part of the interview. So we've waited for what, like a year to get a Leafs player on the podcast, and I couldn't even do it. People probably heard me on the podcast at the end of last week. I couldn't even hardly speak, and. Uh, but I know, I know you did a great job with it. So we're gonna we went ahead and we did it, and we hope that this will be a regular thing that we can have some Leafs players on and and, and talk to us as part of the podcast. Yeah, we've done, we've tried. Uh, you say a year, but like really, we've really only made an effort to try to make it happen more recently. And our first guest just happens to be in the news. Uh, Pierre Engvall signs a two-year extension, $1.25 million cap hit. We're going to get into that contract, uh, his fit, his future after the interview. Uh, but we want to let you get a listen to Pierre Engvall. We kind of touched on, so James, you weren't there, but we got into like how this guy becomes an NHL player from being a seventh-round pick. Like you've done the research, I remember reading in some of your stories how infrequent seventh round picks make it. It it it, it happens here and there, uh, but his rise is is obviously pretty nuts when you think about it. 
Yeah, and just to be clear, that the interview was done before we knew about the contract extension, which was just announced, you know, minutes ago. But uh, so the, the interview is not really about the contract extension; it's more more about Pierre Engvall's journey and kind of his unlikely journey. I mean, he's and he he's a good first guest because he's a good talker and he's an interesting backstory and he's a guy that probably a lot of Leafs fans don't know a lot about. All right, so let's hear from Pierre Engvall. I spoke to him earlier this week. Uh, and then James and I will be back uh, with some thoughts afterwards. All right, so Pierre Engvall is here. He is the first ever player guest on the Leaf Report podcast. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, just came out of practice, so uh, looking forward to talk to you. Well, so the first thing I want to ask you, uh, I, I kind of want to get to stuff that I wouldn't ask you like on a day-to-day basis. So you were a seventh-round pick, 188th overall in 2014. What do you remember about like draft day, draft weekend? Uh, draft, I just remember sitting at home, uh, watching on the TV, and uh, uh, I remember I was like hoping to get drafted, and I thought that I was I was good enough to get drafted, but I didn't make the team at for uh, junior championship for 18. So I know that's that you need to be in there to get get drafted early, uh, but I felt that I was uh, good enough to get drafted, and. Uh, uh, yeah, and I talked to some teams, so I was just hoping to get drafted on, on the day. I sat in the sofa watching like all the plays come, and like after 150, I was like, um, it doesn't see, seem to be too uh, too light for me. But uh, when it came up to Toronto, I was so happy. And like the team I talked to, I uh, felt really good when I talked to Ber- Tommy Bergman. That helped me. Uh, so. Yeah, I was just really happy and it, I mean, it didn't matter which round I went to. I just remember, remember thinking like, yeah, if just do I get drafted, uh, then I get to show me, so. Well, so you had kind of given up, at, like before they pick you, you'd kind of given up like that you were going to get drafted? I mean, like after 150, I knew it was just like 50 more or something. So I mean, like, that's when you get like nervous. I mean, not that I'd given up, but I was nervous, you know, I was like. I think I stopped watching after 150. I was like, "Well, because what time is it in Sweden at that point?" I think it was during the day. It was like uh, maybe like one, two. Okay. Well, so do you remember how you celebrated once you you did get picked? Um, nah, we just. I think we just uh, sitting at home, just just took a chill. You know, we were just 18, so like nothing, nothing special. Well, you mentioned Tommy Bergman. He's been like the guy who seems to kind of find a lot of the Swedes late in drafts. Yeah. What do you know about, like, did you know him a bit just from interacting with him over the years? Um, no, I mean, I just, I just met him the first time, uh, I think, when we had the meeting in, in Gothenburg, uh, when he interviewed me. Uh, but, um, yeah, I just remember my my agent told me, like, uh, that he, he was watching the games, like, before the interview, he was watching the games, and I think, I think uh my agent told me that he had told him like that he, he liked how I played and like things like that. So I was like, uh, uh, yeah, I was excited to meet with Toronto. Well, so did you have any inkling that if there was a team that was going to pick you, it was going to be the Leafs, or just it could be any number of teams? Um, I mean, it could be the teams, but I felt like uh, the team that would pick me would be Toronto. I, I felt like. Yeah. Well, because it's kind of nuts. Like, you're a seventh-round pick. Andreas Janssen's a seventh-round pick. Yeah. Is there something, like, you think they see in you guys that – or maybe they should pick you sooner. Maybe that's, like uh, – the Swedes, like – there's a lot of Swedes now in the organization, yeah. obviously. Well, there's a lot of Swedes. And, uh, like you said, me, Johnson, And I think there's another seventh-round pick, Swede. Was it Gun Gunnarsson? Gunnarsson. Yeah, Gunnarsson. So yeah, and he was – I think he was Toronto? a Tommy Bergman guy, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so like you say, it's um, uh, like you know, like probably Johnson. Like when you when you when you see guys like getting drafted in the seventh round and they still make it and, and they do good, uh, you feel like you can do it too. So like I think Longquist, Henrik Longquist, seven yeah. rounder, and might be wrong, but I think Selberg is a seven rounder too. Late or sixth, like he's a late round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a bunch of guys that uh, get drafted late and still makes it and do good. So. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can't you can't be too hanged up about getting drafted later. Right? Yeah, well, because that's the thing. Like when you get drafted in the seventh round, are you thinking like, I have like, what are you thinking of your chances are of getting to the NHL? Or? If you're a seventh rounder, like what's yeah, your, like what's when your that happens, are you like, like I'm gonna make it? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's just up to like uh, every player, like uh, in uh, like uh, the end of it's like, if you want to make it, like if you want to. 
get to the NHL, you just gotta put in the work and like, uh, and of course you gotta like the like hockey a lot. Sure. To put in it. Well, so tell me about your hometown. Is there anything like that sticks out? I looked. It's it's like in southern Sweden. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, down south, and it's a really small city. It's like fifteen thousand people, I think. Uh, so really small town, but it's uh, kind of big hockey town. Though. Like uh, most most of the people go to the at least they they did go to the games more. But now they are in Division One. They were in in the second league before, and they were almost getting up to the the highest league. But that was like many years ago. So that would be like the thing to do to go to the rink and watch the watch them play. Yeah, I think that was a big thing at least a couple of years ago, like ten years ago maybe. Yeah, it was bigger because they were in the second league. Uh, and didn't you play there? Or is it? Yeah, I, I played. Uh, I think I was loaned from my junior team. Played one or two games, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, um, I didn't. I, I didn't play there anymore since then. Well, so when you were a kid, were you thinking like all along I'm going to play in the NHL, or like what was there something other path like if you weren't playing hockey that you think you would have followed? Ooh, uh, yeah, I mean, I used to drive uh, motocross. What? Yeah. So uh, I really like I my dream was to become a like professional motocross driver. What? And, yeah. But um yeah, then my dad he he quit the motocross because he yeah, he said it was like a shit sport. He was kind of pissed at the moment. He was like he, he was driving motocross and had this competition and uh, he he got suspended and after the suspension he got me to try hockey and uh, that's how I came into hockey. So wait, so your dad did it professionally? Yeah, I, it was, I think it was best in uh, uh, Scandinavia, wow. I think. So he was driving world championships, uh, but he, he was, it was really good. He was like driving the world championship when he was 18 or 19, I think. He wow. was doing really good, but then he, he quit from uh, 19 years till 27. Okay. And uh, and then he came back when he was 27, like eight to nine years after, and still managed to win, like being the best in Scandinavia. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. And so you grow up with this, and you want to do it. You want to kind of follow in his footsteps. Is that the kind of the thing? Um, yeah. When I was little, like really small, I used to drive from I was like I started really like from three wow. till like seven, and then I started driving or like to play hockey. So you so you did, did you do like races and stuff? Uh, I think I was just supposed to like starting do races, but then I just quit and like played hockey and uh, soccer. So did he want you to quit just because he? So you said like he didn't think it would be a good career? Yeah, I uh, I, I think so. Like, I think it was because he got suspended. He got pissed, and then he, what did he get suspended for? Do you remember? Um, yeah, he did something. He got pissed, and um, I think he. Had a like a, I don't know what you call it, but he he damaged like the other the, the other motocross of oh, wow. other racer. So yeah. Well, so why do you think he? But put he, you he got no, he got suspended for. So during the race, there was once you if a guy like falls uh, in a on a jump where you're supposed to jump and like it's a yellow flag because he was leading the race. So, like sometimes you don't get the time to slow down, like. But he, was, he did slow down, but not as much as you probably needed, needed to. So he jumped, and the, the second guy who was after him jumped too. But he was the second guy he put in, like, uh, what do you put? Yeah, he, like, went into a guy and told him, like, yeah, Tom, oh. Tommy Engwell, uh, he jumped when he was, couldn't do it. And then he got suspended, but he was supposed to win the Swedish championship if he just won the race. And so that cost him the Swedish so championship? That cost him. And then he got pissed because that wow. guy jumped to but yeah. Was he bitter about it? Like, is he still pissed no, off about it? No, he like, I think he came back like two years after and won, so. Huh. Well, so did you take to hockey right away? Like, did you know? Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, once I tested hockey, I felt like it was, I think I liked it even more than motocross. Interesting. What did you like? Like, were you always a good skater? Uh, not a first, not first year, but I think I was a lot come, uh, like a lot loved to like uh, compete with all the other guys. So I think I got good uh, pretty fast. Well, so at one point when you're a little bit older, you play with uh, I think Rasmus Sandin's brother, right? 
Linus? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. Did that? So, so you've gotten to know, there's like a kind of a nice little group of, you, of Swedes here. Yeah. What can you tell me about like some of the Swedes who are around? Like who are you bu good buddies with? Um, yeah, I mean, we have a couple, but uh, I think the one uh, that I hang out the most with is uh, uh, Timashov. Okay. Who was roomies in the Marlies, uh, so... And he, you guys have known each other from a really young age, right? Yeah, yeah, we have. Uh, but yeah, no, we've been uh, friends for a long while, but I think when, we, when I came here, of course, it makes it easier to like hang out and things, but um, yeah, we have, uh, he's a funny guy, and I think we, uh, we have a lot, of, uh, a lot of jokes that we do, so it's uh, fun. Not all the guys get it, get it all the time, but it's, uh, we, have, we have a lot of fun together. Well, what's one interesting thing I might not know about Timoshov that you can tell me? Uh, something he likes to eat, something like his, something you like to <laughs> chirp him about maybe? Yeah, I don't know really what to chirp him about. He's, um, can he speak he's, he's a bad uh, FIFA player. Oh, really? Really bad. Who, which team does he play? Which team he plays with? Yeah. Uh, usually plays with. Um, yeah, we like. I usually get to pick first, uh, so I usually pick Bar Barcelona or Real Madrid. So if I take Real Madrid, he takes Barcelona, and the other way around. So. Are you like a big soccer guy? Uh, yeah, I would say I'm. Uh, I like to play FIFA. Yeah. I, I used to like me and Dima when we shared room. We used to play. Huh. So every night when we came to the hotel, we used to play a couple of games. Like hours? Um, so if we were like have a practice and like, and we had a decent amount of hours to like to, to just do nothing, like then we would play for a long time. But like hmm. before games, we used to just a couple of games, that, that's it. Well, he speaks like, doesn't he speak like four or five languages? Yeah, I always speak Russian, Swedish, English. Uh, yeah, if you talk to him, he maybe say even more, but yeah. uh, I think that's it for him. Okay, well, so you guys won uh, Calder Cup together, I believe. Yeah. Do you remember uh, how you spent the day with Calder Cup? What did you do? Uh, so when we excited when we won? Or? No, like, so I think you get the cup for a day, right? Yeah, I, I didn't get it. No? Why? Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know, really, to be honest. You didn't want it? No, I mean, we celebrated here when we were in Toronto, so I was like, I had my celebration and like, we had like, a, we had a party when I came home for my family and all the friends and like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just meant like, just to get it there and like have it, I don't know. Well, so what's the one thing you'll remember about winning a Calder Cup? Like, what's the one memory that comes to mind first off? Um, I think it's just like the feeling when the, when the signal goes and like, when you see all the guys, they're so happy. You see all the leaders. You see the arena. It's like, like just ten minutes before everything. Like when we win, it's just feels like the time is frozen. Like everyone is just happy. You just feel energy in the arena. It's it's unbelievable. Well, had you ever won like a championship of any kind before? Uh, I think when we took um, my uh, when I played in Sweden the year before I came. No, no, no I was. That was even one year earlier. Well, I when I played in the second league, we went up to the SHL. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was the, like, it kind of felt like you won. Like, I mean, you took the team up to the SHL and like you beat the team that right. was the So I think that was kind of the same feeling. Well, like, it must just be like a release. Like you've, you've gone the whole year, you played all these games and then yeah. like it's over and you won. And yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it was, it was huge. And we also played that year, we played uh, the rivals in the final. It was like, um, so they call it like the battle of Stillian. It's like, because huh. here's one more other team I play for, and then you go up and there's like Lexan. Yeah. And it's just a couple of um, miles between. So it's like, yeah, when you play, it's. it's so it's like, like a little people, tournament? Yeah, kind of? it's like, um, what do you call it? I mean, it's just like the biggest thing for them. Like, if, you, if you're not from that area in Sweden, you don't know about it, but once you come up there, you feel like. So people used to tell me like, yeah, you know, Pierre, I don't even drive. When I have to drive, like even up in the country, I used to, I drive like around that city just because I don't want to drive through that city. Really? That's, that's how much they like. That's Lexand? Yeah, that's Lexand. I, I played from Mora, so. So there's like a rivalry between the two cities? Rivalry. So like, 
they pumped up the feeling and like so when we won and we beat our team it was it was big yeah well, what's the trash talk like at that point um, i mean it's not too much trash talk between the players but like no. but the cities yeah i think but they you know it's not like they kind of mean it's just like a funny thing for them to you know but it's like probably like um when guy when Toronto plays like other teams here, like there's like, like Montreal probably, yeah, or Ottawa, probably like that. Okay. Last thing I was curious about, um, you're obviously from Sweden. You're coming to Canada like a couple years back. Yeah. What's it like, like culture change wise, when you come to a place like this that's different from your home? Like, what was it like? Um, I mean, it was. I think Canada and Sweden is kind of similar. Like, uh, I feel like the the people is kind of similar to Swedish people I think yeah. so it's like, like nice obviously yeah, exactly. I hope nice people no no but I mean I, I like it it's um, it wasn't too big of change like of course like Toronto the city is so big and like I was used to living in a small city but I mean I like it and I think like um, all the guys in the in the teams both Marlis and the Leafs have been really good to me and uh, I know all the other Swede likes it too so yeah, just really, really happy to be here. Is there like something from home that like you miss that you can't get here, like a food or like, I don't know, is there uh, one thing? I mean, it's it's different food, like, like a yeah. little bit, like. Uh, like, do you have to yeah, cook? Sometimes, all? like, I miss like the Swedish food. Yeah. Like, Can you cook? Like, do you cook at home? Not much. No? Uh, I have a girlfriend, so she cooks more than me uh, but um, she's from Sweden yeah she's from Sweden. so she make all like your good Swedish dishes uh, yeah but she's not the. we kind of like even on the she cooks a little bit more though but yeah but uh, she's good at some some things and I'm good at some things so like I do a couple dishes and she do a couple of dishes do you ever do this fika thing I've heard of fika is a big thing yeah fika is a big thing I do fika a lot uh, here yeah I do so you found like a good coffee shop like tell I usually go to like Starbucks or uh, yeah. or Impact I like the brownies and oh Impact. yeah okay you've been to Impact I've walked past it many many times oh, is yeah? it good yeah it's really good you should go there Take well, so the, tell people what Fika is for people to know so Fika is like uh, after practice you go or like after work or after school you go to um you go to yeah you could just go to a good spot to get your fika like a brownie or a muffin or something you take your coffee you sit there for an hour or like even if you want more then you, you go just back. relax right yeah you just relax that's it all right well pierre this has been fun thank you for uh doing it yeah thank you man nice to meet you all right so james that was pierre engval our first leaf on the leaf report podcast um I think we should start with the extension. Uh, what's your your first impression? I mean, I, it's a no brainer for the Leafs. You know, like I, I, it's hard to see that contract hurting them in any way. Um, it gives him a little bit of security, and that you know, it's it's a one way deal, obviously, and he's going to get NHL money for the next two years. But the uh, the term is low. The dollars are low. Uh, I had him. I had forecast he was going to get 1.5 million over two years when I was doing my RFA projections. So he's even lower than that. And um, you know, I think it's uh, it, it, when guys get to this this kind of crossroads where they get to the age he is and the amount of they've played, and all of a sudden they start to need waivers to go down, right? Mm-hmm. So then they're either going to be in the NHL or it becomes less of a concern how much the contract is because, he, you know, he's an NHL player. He's going to play in the NHL or he's going to get claimed on waivers. And I think that for that salary, it's 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 pretty hard for the Leafs to lose on a deal like that. Well, what's interesting, I think, about him is it's still not really clear what he is or, like, what his upside is. He's still so young in his career. It's not um, – clear if he's going to play center it's not clear if he's going to play the wing maybe he's just a guy who bounces between both but it's apparent like what his skills are he's an unbelievable skater he can kill penalties he can score a bit Uh, I wonder like how much playmaking there is to his game Uh, but I guess to your point like it doesn't totally matter because it's he's an NHL player and he's going to play on their roster whether it's third line whether it's second line whether it's fourth line do you feel like you have an idea of like what his ceiling is or like, I mean, he is, 
He's young, but like he's not 20. Yeah. He's 23. So like where do you think he kind of fits in? I think I have a pretty good idea of what his floor is. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like his That's floor fair. is like fourth line guy who's good on the penalty kill, who can skate really well and like he's an NHL player. He's got size, he's got speed, he's got the the question, you know, he came into the league and I wasn't really expecting him to be an offensive producer. And then he put up all these points and you looked at kind of the on-ice shooting percentage and, you know, uh, there was, he was getting a lot of bounces and it, that's tailed off lately. You know, he's he's been, his point production has really kind of disappeared of late. And now he's on the fourth line and maybe that's where he settles in, you know, but so it's interesting, you know, with all of the RFAs the Leafs have coming here, they're they're all going to be bridge deals. Like, I can't see it, – it's not going to be anything like the last two years where they had these big battles over over signing those contracts. It's – you know, I think they're – I think Travis Dermott and Mikheyev and Timoshev and all these guys. I, I, is is Goche – I think Goche's RFA as well. There's no, there's nothing UFA. there that's going to break there's, – there's nothing there that's going to break the bank for those guys. No, and it's interesting. I I do find the length interesting. Like I wonder if just because it's 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 top of mind for me. I just wrote about Zach Hyman. The Leafs gave him a four year deal at two point two five a while back, and that's like ended up becoming good value. I wonder if like there was an avenue to go longer with Engvall. Um, does that strike you as something that would interest you if you were the front office? I'm sure it's just the same as what we're saying, where we're we're not really sure what he is. So, yeah. yeah whereas, with like the, with Hyman and, and Connor Brown, you kind of knew what they were. Well, you were, knew like both those guys were already playing in the top nine, and like with yeah. your forwards, you you can't you don't want to be paying a fourth line guy two million plus or one point set. You know, you you want the Leafs need to save cap space wherever they can, and their fourth line going forward every year now is going to be guys like close to league minimum deals or guys that are interchangeable with the Marlies that are making, you know, money that you can bury and it doesn't cost anything against your cap. So um, I think to pay Engvall more than that, you'd have to feel pretty good about him being in your top nine, like being on your third line. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet if that's what he is or not. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Um, You need to have some offensive capability to be on the third line and, yeah, I'm not we'll sure if that's him. I'm like, we'll see. We'll see over the yeah the next, you know, twenty to forty games or so if if that that blip when he first joined the Leafs is was real or not. Yeah, well, I mean, credit to their development system um, to have two seventh round picks on the roster and contributing is nuts. Um, and that's one thing like that an organization like the Leafs with all the resources that they do have. It's one thing to have the resources. It's another to actually take advantage of them. The fact that like they, one thing I think they've done really well is they extract like everything that they can get, it seems, from most of their prospects. Like there are exceptions that they haven't hit on that haven't developed. But like to even Timoshev, like Timoshev is like a fringe NHLer at this point. But he like the fact that he is in the NHL at all is something that that Engvall is a seventh round pick, like 188th overall, and he becomes something it's interesting. I, I think it, as far as a team with the power that the Leafs have, finding ways around the margins um, in a salary cap world to kind of make these things work. Well, and they've been piling up seventh round picks, right? Like, don't they have like three seventh round picks coming up this year? I was yeah. looking at this. Well, they've day, traded like, a they, bunch of other picks. Yeah, but I mean, like if you look at some of the calculations that people have, yeah, they've got three se- seventh round picks. Yeah. Uh. And then they've got, well, they've got three six-round picks this year, too. So, like, they've got a lot of these late picks. If you look at some of the calculations the analytics folks have done on draft picks, the difference between picking at the start of the third round and the end of the sixth round is very, very minuscule. Like, it's very, very small, the degree of success you're going to get between those, you know, mid-round picks. Even, like, a mid-second-round pick is the chances that you're going to you're gonna hit on that are really, really low. And, you know, the Leafs have an ace up their sleeve over there in Sweden in, in, in their scout, Tommy Bergman. I mean, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the, um, the seventh round picks that are hitting are all being made over in Sweden by the same scout. You know, what, uh, 
and, and he picked uh he picked uh Gunnarsson. Anton Str- Anton Strollman, right? Uh, Andreas yeah. Janssen, uh Gunnarsson. There've been it's going to be almost that they get to the draft and it comes to the 7th round and everyone at the Leafs table just moves over and gives Bergman the pick and he can just take whoever he wants. I mean that that feels like the strategy that they should go with. Or maybe they should let him pick sooner. How about that? Yeah, maybe. Sweden's one of those one Sweden seems to be the league where these prospects that have a lot of have NHL upside slip through for whatever reason that they develop later. Well, there seems to be kind of a um a trend, not a trend, a pattern with with Swedish players where they're smart, uh they skate pretty well. Like it feels like those are two central qualities to most of these Swedish guys, no? Yeah, and I think that they have like a really strong work ethic and they really respond to development really well and you know, and we've seen a number of guys you know, they, they can spend two, three years in the AHL and not get frustrated the way that sometimes you see some other prospects get frustrated. Yes, so Strawman was a seventh-round pick in 2005. Gunnarsson was seventh-round pick in 2007. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, Leo Komarov was a sixth-round pick in 2006. You know, they've had uh, – their European scouting staff has found some pretty good players towards the end of the draft. And, I mean, that's going, that's going way back, but – Bergman's been on on the scouting staff for a long time, so. Well, and this is the way, um, especially for a team that that has as much tied up in its top players as the Leafs do, to win on the margins, and like to to use the Raptors as an example, like they just keep finding players outside of the draft. So so granted, their draft is only two rounds, so it's different. But if you can like turn, I mean, Trevor Moore is a good example. Like he's. He's an undrafted free agent that they sign, develop, and then use in a trade to address a need. Uh, Justin Hall, like they just find, they develop, and like now he's in on their top pair. Like for them to kind of win and flex their muscles, those are the kinds of things that you have to win. And lots of organizations don't win those kinds of things, right? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's all these different ways to acquire players and the the undrafted free agent or, or was Justin Hall. Justin Hall was probably a free agent, right? Because he yeah, was he drafted, was. but then he was just let walk. Yeah. I mean, it's knowing really well what's available in, in junior, in the minors, when players become available, you've got a good handle on, on who they are. And yeah. And I mean, the Leafs are going to have to be really, really good at that because there's going to be this cycle of, seven or eight players probably on the roster that changes over every year, you know? Yeah. Well, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be able to keep everybody. Right. Like they're probably not going to be able to keep Zach Hyman. They might not be able to keep Kasperi Kapanen if he's not traded. Uh, Even this summer, like we're likely to see Tyson Berry leave. Like you're just going to have to keep replacing these guys. But like, maybe that's something like we didn't factor in enough when it came to the negotiation with some of those big contracts is maybe they just have a confidence that, you know what, we can find players on the margins. Like we didn't mention Ilya Mikheyev, who like they just find in, in Russia and they bring over and like he's instantly an NHL player. And he's like the last big dom. Well, I guess he's not the last. Him and Travis Dermott are the two remaining big RFA dominoes that they're going to have to sign. And those will be interesting in their own right. Um I don't know if you have any thoughts on those guys. I think we've talked about them before, but those I are going to be interesting I, as well. They're not going to get a lot of money. Like they just, there's no way those those well, are going to case, both, right? Those are both going to be bridge deals too. So it, it kind of it's good for the Leafs right now. With I mean, like if McKay would have played the whole year and put up forty five or fifty points, I mean, he would have had a case for a, a big time payday. And I just I don't see. It sucks, but I mean, the injury is obviously going to affect his contract negotiation. For sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, like he could have gotten to what? 15, 20 goals. And like you said, like 40 some odd points, let alone like who knows what would have happened or what will happen in the playoffs. Um, But I wonder like with with someone like Dermot, if you try more of like a, a longer term thing, just to try to like find some value. But again, like I you just, said with Engvall, it's the same thing. Like you don't really know what he is. 
No, and I don't like if you're Dermot, you're not going to want to sign what the team's willing to give you. It's the same. There's the same threshold. Like you don't want to be paying your your third pair D that much money. You want to put your money into your top four, but you, you're not sure if where Dermot goes. Yeah, you're not sure if he plays higher than the, the third pair. Even watching him, I mean, he's been getting more minutes lately. I'm, I'm still not sure. You know, watching him game to game. You know, there's some games and some periods where I really like what he's doing, and then there are other ones where I like he still looks like a third pair guy. Yeah, his decision making from time to time isn't great, and that's like I wonder how much of that is just like he's young in the league, he's just figuring it out, and he's also playing with Tyson Berry, and that pair is basically their second pair, uh, and defensively they've had issues, obviously, which. Yeah, which isn't shocking. So we haven't no. done the podcast since the last three games. The Leafs have been yeah. playing a ton of games. Like they they've been they have four games last week, four games this week. Um, we should talk about what we've seen over the last three games. I mean, the biggest story has obviously been Jack Campbell. I mean, this he's up to a nine eighteen save percentage in his first three starts. He played back to back games right off the bat. Um, he. He looks a lot different than Frederick Anderson in the net, but he's getting the job done. And most importantly, he's a, he's a big upgrade over what Michael Hutchinson was doing. And it's real early. It's only three games, but he's validating so far the essentially the two picks that they gave up to get him. Well, and that was the big question that you and I had when it came to Jack Campbell. Like we, we had talked about him in the fall. You brought him up on a list that you made. A potential backups they could get and we did not include him on our trade targets list just because we weren't really sure if he was that much of an upgrade over Michael Hutchinson in conjunction with the fact that he was signed for the next two years so if you're not getting someone who's that much better than Hutchinson and he's signed for the next two years at like an a number that's okay if he can play but that's not great if he can't um but if this if this is what he is and and like Again, like you mentioned, it's early, but if this is what he is and he's signed for the next two years, they've erased a problem that they've had for the last two seasons. Yeah, I mean, now they have more goalie depth in the organization. Now they have, I mean, I, I, I wrote about, after the Montreal game, I wrote about Jack Campbell and I said he's kind of like this wild card that they really needed. Like they needed, they needed someone that could come in and give them some starts and he might be really, really good. He might play really well, and he might steal them some games. He might be just okay. But I think it, his baseline is higher than what Michael Hutchinson was giving them. And, you know, I was looking at this today. Um, the Leafs record under Sheldon Keefe is really, really good, as everyone knows. I think it's I think they're 22-9-4 or something like that. I don't know if I have that exactly right, but or 21-9-4. Or but if you look at Sheldon Keefe's record when Michael Hutchinson isn't in the net, it's really, really, really good. They're winning. They're seventeen four and four when it's Anderson or Campbell in the net. So when they're getting, and even some of those games Anderson didn't play well, but when they're getting not terrible backup goaltending, this team has won a lot of games. So while they're still in this uncertain area in terms of if they're going to make the playoffs and they've got to play well and they've got there's there's a lot of indications that if the goaltending's okay and if they stay reasonably healthy, that that they should make the playoffs. Well, that was like, that was the problem with what was going on with Hutchinson. He was costing them games. Like there's a difference between a goalie who just comes in and just makes the saves he's supposed to to make. Doesn't like, he isn't winning you the game or winning you most games, but he's not costing you games. And that's how it's been with, with Campbell. Like he's been, he hasn't cost them. You haven't looked at the goals he's given up generally and been like, ah, that one can't go in. And that seemed to be happening once or twice every single game with Hutchinson compounded um, in that New York game where that fourth goal goes in just after they score to make it 3-2. And that, like Sheldon Keefe said after the game, like that was devastating. That was defeating. And like the fact that they made that trade basically while the game is happening and announce it like an hour afterwards – kind of speaks to the urgency that they were feeling because like that's that's points like how many points do you think Hutchinson cost them six seven eight nine ten that's Too many. that's huge too many I mean what his win-loss record is is not good if you take out the backup games this season and I'm including the one Kaskasu game although 
in fairness, I think any goalie would have lost that game in Pittsburgh that he played. Um, you take out those backup games, the Leafs' record is very, very good. If it gets to the end of the year and they miss the playoffs by one point, we're all going to be pointing to what happened with the backup goalie in the first, you know, yeah. the season's two-thirds over. They they really, if the answer was going to be Jack Campbell, they should have done this a month or two ago. They really yeah, should have. Yeah, that's what I don't totally get. I don't, I and, and I I tried, but you can't get anyone to talk about it. Well, Dubas was asked afterwards if this was available to them previously, and he said no. Now, do I think that is likely to be the full truth? I have no idea. Like, how how would we know? Um, but I mean, if you want to get a, a deal done, you get a deal done. You know, like I if, just, it's, if it's it's a great as great a need as it looked to be very early in the season, you, you got to find a way to get something done. That's the job. Well, and like I just don't understand how they settled on Hutchinson as the answer in the off season, and then gave him so much rope to to keep struggling, you know. And there yeah. there would just seem to be such belief in the front office in him that didn't really seem very well earned. Yeah, obviously Frederick Anderson has not come back yet. By the time people listen to this, he may play Thursday, he may play on the weekend, he may play next week. Obviously Campbell coming in and solidifying things eases the pressure a bit on him well and i you know what too jonas i think campbell's probably going to want to play against dallas is the team that drafted him and kind of gave yeah, up that's on him a good and point i so i think campbell probably does get that game and he's and in that and dallas is like not a very good offensive team and it's it's not the worst thing with him playing as well as he is and the team the, the the thing that I don't know how how much interaction you've had with Campbell um, through the first few days with him on the team. I mean he's he's an interesting personality. Like he's just he's one he's of those a guys. Dude. Yeah. Well, he's like he's very very positive. He's very happy. He's very you know he's just he's kind of like I don't know I don't know if I want to say ray of sunshine or whatever, but he's just like he's got a he stands out for his personality and sure the. Having the former Kings players in Muzzin and and um, uh, Clifford on the team now, who both love the guy, and very clearly he's endearing himself to the rest of the team. Yeah. Like they, 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 he's just very quickly come in, and uh, I mean, it's not no one, no one didn't like Hutchinson. Like Hutchinson's a good guy, but Campbell's combining the kind of a really positive dressing room influence with playing well on the ice and. It's been interesting to see, you know, you make a trade and you bring in some different players. And Sheldon Keefe has said he really thinks that it's been a positive getting getting these two players in. And, you know, that Clifford's attitude and Campbell's attitude. And, you know, those guys kind of are getting a lifeline after playing on a Kings team that was brutal last year and this year. And they're both fired up about it. And I think it's helping the Leafs. Well, you know what he does that I don't know if this matters or if it's just like something that I notice. He owns his starts. And, and I don't know if that's just something like you 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 say even if you don't believe it, but like he basically after every game, he's basically called himself out on the situations where he could have been better. Like he said, I should have had that goal or I should have had that shot or I cost them here. And Michael Hutchinson seems like the nicest guy, but like that, that was not something he did. Like you would hear players, his teammates after the game come out and say, you know, it was our fault. It wasn't on Hutchinson. Hutchinson would, would kind of fall along that track. And I just wonder, like, I players probably don't even notice this. It's probably just something I notice. But I do think there is something to being accountable that way um, to your teammates. I don't know. I don't know if you think that matters at all. or if it's Well, they wrote about it after the Montreal game, as I'm sure you saw. Like, Yeah, right. That's it was, true. It was very obvious that Campbell was... And it, that game wasn't his fault, and no, he was trying to say all. he was trying to say it was his fault. And then when you asked, told other players that he said that, they were like, "What?" Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like Tyson Berry's was like, "It was my fault. I screwed up in the overtime. I shouldn't have shot that puck." And 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 then someone said, "Oh, Campbell's really hard on himself." And he's like, "What? Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> no. He had a, he played really good. Like, I don't I don't understand." But anyway, like you said, it probably doesn't matter. But it's just certain. It's just like a. It's interjecting a different kind of personality in there before. And Campbell's Campbell's been through a lot in in hockey. And if he's able to kind of 
solidify himself as an NHL goalie here at 28 years old, that's that's going to be a pretty interesting story in Toronto. Okay, let's quick touch on two things quick before we go. Um, I wrote about Zach Hyman, so I just wondered your thoughts on like how he's developed. I mean, this was a guy like who took tons of heat for playing on one of their top two lines when he first got here. I guess their top line. Um, he's shooting at like an insane pace, which isn't going to continue. Uh, but like he has very clearly become like really important to them. And I think that's really interesting just based on he's a fifth round pick. Um, anyway, the, like the whole story with Zach Hyman, I think is interesting. Zach Hyman is like, you know how we always hear about some of the star players and their like insane work ethic and what they do, like Sidney Crosby and how they just live hockey. And that's yeah. what Zach Hyman is like, it, you know, you could see his progress every year coming out of the off season. Year after year, he his his stick handling would get better. His shooting would get better. His he he. I I don't know how much time he takes off in the summer. And obviously, he had the knee injury and the rehab and everything. And I've talked to him a little bit about that this year. But um, we, we I mean we talked about that with the knee. Like he was reading books and he was talking to people that had, had that knee surgery. And he was like he's just he's just all in uh, on his career and and in getting better and. That's what you. That's what you're seeing. He's just a much, much more complete player right now than he was three years ago. So the people that were getting on his case three years ago might not have been wrong about that version of Zach Hyman, but they're wrong about this one. Well, one thing he told me is that like he he's always kind of taken a little bit of time to get comfortable with the different levels that he plays at. Like at Michigan, he he didn't score at all when he first got there. Yeah, and his last year he scores like 22 times. And the other thing is, like, I, I think there is something to these players who aren't stars, even when they're young. Like, they're not the best player on their their youth teams, their minor hockey teams, and they really have to work. Um, and, like, that has to be kind of their bread and butter. And that's, like, that's a huge part of what he is. Like, he just works. You remember that I did a story when I was still at the Globe about Zach Hyman, like a big profile of him in his first year. I remember his dad, right, too. I talked to his dad, and I talked to Red Berenson, who was his coach in college. And Red Berenson's like, Zach Hyman is from one of the wealthiest backgrounds of any any player. Like, he, Red Berenson has coached college hockey for, like, whatever, like 50 years, right? Like, he's been around forever. He's in, he's in his 70s, and he's I, I'm pretty sure he's retired now. But um, when I talked to him, he was still coaching and he said, I, you know, hockey is getting wealthier and wealthier. People are coming from more and more privileged backgrounds. Zach Hyman's one of them from one of the most privileged backgrounds of anyone I've had, but you would never know it because he outworks everybody. He's super humble. He, and there, and the story of him at, at Michigan is, is Red Berenson just threw him. Like he was playing on the fourth line for a long time. And he went from having 102 points in, with the Hamilton Red Wings in, in, I believe that's junior A, right? Um, and then he went and he had nine points in college the next year. And, you know, I'm sure he was thinking, like, I want to play in the NHL. I don't want to be a guy on a fourth line in college when I'm 20 years old. And how am I ever going to make it to the NHL? And then by the end, he was a star in the NCAA. Um, and that's just, Red Berenson said, that's that's a credit to, to Hyman. I mean, you and I, Yeah. I'm sure some fans are probably tired of hearing about Zach Hyman all the time, but... Wait, who talks about Zach Hyman all the time? What do you mean? Well, like Mike Babcock. You barely talk about him. Well, like Mike Babcock or, you know, like some... Sure. You know, sometimes sometimes in the media and sometimes on the broadcast, there's these guys that become like... They just get talked about all the time, even if they're not that good. I don't... That's not Zach Hyman. It's not, like... All this stuff that we're talking about, it's not BS. It's 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 legit. Yeah. Well, so, okay, last thing uh, we should get to, and then we'll go. Um, we saw Sheldon Keefe do what has not been done before, put Matthews, Marner, and Neander on the same line. This kind of speaks to the fundamental difference between Keefe and Babcock, and that is a willingness to just try shit and see what happens. It didn't look great. But that wasn't really the point. The only thing I wonder, I don't know, like... I know exactly what you're going to say. What am I going to say? You're going to say that, like, 
it doesn't totally make sense because you have three guys that, that need the puck and that their skills. Well, and also, like, I've never liked Nylander, Nylander on the left wing, right? Like, you're also moving yeah. a guy out of position just to make that happen. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I guess Keith just liked the Kerfoot-Tavares-Hyman line. And again, they, that line played really well. So, And you don't really want to put Nylander on the third line. Um I've I've kind of I thought Janssen's had some good games lately, and I think that he should probably be rewarded playing with Matthews a little bit more, just because it seems like you know he hasn't had a great season. Um, no, but it seems like though I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but it feels like the last few games he's starting to get back off of that injury and look more like himself. And I think he can be the kind of good complementary player. So, but if you keep if you keep Kerfoot, Tavares, Hyman together. And you want Janssen on the top line. That means Nylander's, what, like going down on the third line? But How about have him center your third line? Oh, boy. We're g- oh, baby. <laughs> well, Janssen, been- Nylander, Kapanen, done. They have they have been struggling with that third line center role, what to do. Because For sure. They're, yeah, they don't really know what to do with. It's like they don't trust Kerfoot there. They don't, they're not sure about Engvall there. They're not sure about Spezza there. And yeah, I mean, it's, that's something that's. That's going to be worth a story here in the near future for sure. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of diminishing returns when you put them all together, just because they all they all like Marner needs the puck, Matthews needs the puck, and and granted Marner and Matthews together makes more sense. But then you add a third element who also needs the puck. I don't know if it works. But we'll no. see. Yeah, I, I I don't think he's going to do it again. Do you? I could see him trying it again um, Thursday night. I don't know. I, like, I don't see the downside in, in trying it and then just switching if it doesn't work or if you don't like the look of it. Like, that's that's what I think is, I don't know if you want to use, or use the word refreshing, because I I understood what, what Mike Babcock was trying to do, but not everything needs to be, like, stuck in place and, like, you can't change it and you can't try it. If it doesn't work for two more periods or another game or two more games, you can just change it. Like it, it doesn't have to be so rigid. Yeah, and I'm sure the thinking process was we like the way Kerfoot yeah. Tavares Hyman looks. So where are we going to put Nealander? And that's that's probably what happened. Like it wasn't like let's create a super line and put all of our big money guys together and like they're going to well, be James. Like, like they're going to be like say that they're going to be Voltron and. <laughs> Yeah, but he did say like that this was something he was curious about, and I think mm. that's interesting. So, anyway. All right, so we will be back. Let's look at the schedule next week as we always do. I don't like being predictable, so maybe we shouldn't look at the schedule. I, I think that probably the best days for us to next week will be like Monday or Friday, just because we're both yeah. going to be traveling next, next week, so... Yeah, so the Leafs play in Pittsburgh on the Tuesday. I'll be there. And then they play at home against Pittsburgh on the Thursday. I think so we should record Wednesday on Monday. Or, I think we should record on Monday because there's there's three games. Like, they're playing a lot of games right now. So Done. All right, so stay tuned for Monday. And thank you to the Leafs and Pierre Engvall for joining the show. James, you got your wish. They, and, then, and also the Leafs opened the Engvault to pay Pierre Engvall. Nice. Good pun. That's one of your rare good puns. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll talk next week.